but just someone who's starting out in general, always find people who are more experienced than you and not just a little bit more experienced than you, but a lot more experienced than you and find a way to apprentice them, you know, to just do whatever you can to help them and to learn from them because you will gain, you know, literally 10 X the amount of knowledge and experience just through them than you would have trying to figure out things on your own. Um, and that's like, best advice ever. Hey, this is your host, Dan Wynn, and welcome to the Financial Freedom Journal, where we talk real deals, real numbers, and real lessons learned with successful real estate entrepreneurs to help you on your journey to financial freedom. If you find value in this episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with a friend. Lastly, make sure to follow the Financial Freedom Journal Real Estate Investing Group on Facebook. We're building a community that's dedicated to helping you transact your next deal. Hey, how's it going, guys? This is Dan Wynn, and welcome to the Financial Freedom Journal. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, if you listen to my videos, I talk a lot about the different types of advantages to real estate, um, appreciation, leverage, cash flow, uh, debt pay down, and then I also say tax advantages, the, the, the advantages of the taxes. So today, we have a cost segregation expert here. Um, that can help us help us kind of dissect that a little bit more and, and understand the tax advantages that come with the real estate. All right, Dan, I appreciate you having me, and uh, you're happy to share whatever knowledge I can on uh, cost segregation. It's a uh, a topic that is, you know, kind of covered in uh, decked in uh, mystique by a lot of people because it's just kind of out there, and the name kind of throws people off. To tell you the truth. But we're, we'll, you know, we'll try to break down all of the uh, whatever, whatever is blocking. <laughs> we'll dissect it. We'll dissect it and you know, chop it up and put it in the bite-sized portion so uh, everyone can understand what's going on and how they how they help um, uh, the real estate investor. So definitely. But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Tell us a little about a bit about yourself and uh, kind of how you got started. Um. I, my background is actually in education as a teacher for the past um, about 15, 15 years or so, even really even close to 20 years. And I found my way kind of fell into real estate about five years ago when I was just looking for a new opportunity, not necessarily anything specifically related to real estate, but I was kind of exploring, you know, how can I kind of take my career and take something to a higher level, which will continue to you know, do what, what my passion is, which is really teaching and, and helping other people. And that's kind of led me almost kind of like accidentally to real estate uh, through a friend. And we started just learning about it. And I loved every aspect of commercial real estate and just started to, and we got my broker's license and wanted to learn whatever there was to learn. And I found that connecting with people and learning from people who are really well experienced and how a lot of real life experience in the industry has really given me more education and just partnering with them and, and, you know, being with them side by side, learning from them has given me so much more than anything I could have learned in school or any courses or anything like that. So that really kind of accelerated my knowledge and my experience uh, kind of vicariously through a lot of those, uh, those people that I've had the pleasure of being connected with and, and learning from over the past few years. 
Definitely. Uh, it's, what's that old adage that says something about, you know, the, the people you hang around with, it eventually kind of wears off on you or not wears off on you, uh, kind of uh, rubs, rubs off. off on you. There you go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> definitely. So um, defining cost segregation uh, for, uh, for most people, can, we, can, can you explain what that is? Explain uh, what it is in the simplest form and then we can kind of go from there. Absolutely. So the simplest form is first to understand what depreciation is because cost segregation is just an accelerated form of depreciation or like an enhanced form of depreciation of a property. Um, so the first thing, like I said, depreciation, it sounds negative. It sounds like, you know, something's going down in value, but what it is, is a tax deduction. It's a tax write-off that allows real estate owners to take a tax to literally write off the entire value of the property that you purchased over a course of a certain number of years. So for residential properties and multifamilies included in that, that's over a 27 and a half year period. And so you take the purchase price, you, you know, take off a little bit for land, which doesn't depreciate. And the IRS allows you to literally, like I said, write off the entire value of that over a 27 and a half year period. So you have a million dollar property, every year for 27 and a half years, about $30,000 or so. And that's your tax write-off. That means that you deduct that from your income tax. Uh, let's say you make $50,000. Immediately you, you deduct 30,000 and you're only taxed on the remaining 20. That's, that's the basics of how depreciation works. Now cost segregation is segregating out or really compartmentalizing the property into different asset classes and different asset lives. So you have the structure, the main component, which is the main component of the property is the structure and structural parts of the building, which that does depreciate on a 27 and a half year schedule, but there's so many things that actually depreciate on a faster schedule. So for example, personal property, furniture, appliances, fixtures, um, cabinets, carpeting, stuff like that depreciates on a five year schedule. And the IRS actually recommends that you take those assets on a five-year schedule, meaning you can write off the entire value of those things over five years instead of waiting 27 years. So that's how cost segregation works. That's the one main category, like I said, is the five-year property, the personal property, that movable stuff. And there's other stuff like land improvements, like landscaping and pavement, fencing, um, stuff like that outside of the building depreciates on a 15-year schedule. So these are the three main categories, which it used to be, it's funny, cost segregation, it's like a weird name, right? But the IRS used to call it component depreciation, okay? Now, component depreciation makes so much more sense because that's does. exactly what it is. <laughs> you're depreciating the building, but your component, you're setting in the different components. This is five years personal property. This is 15 years land improvements. And this is 27 years, 27 and a half years, the structural components. Okay. Cost segregation. We're just segregating the costs. Okay. That's true. So when an engineer, what, what happens is you need an engineer to come in to the property and be able to take down all the details of how much everything is, like how much square footage of carpeting you actually have, right? How many cabinets you actually have, and what's the, what's the you know, square footage of that, et cetera. Then you can determine, then you can determine what the costs of those things are and put them in the right categories to be able to depreciate them um, on that faster schedule. And that, that's, 
That's that, it. <laughs> that was that was an awesome explanation, and I love I love uh, cost segregation and, and depreciation so much because uh, just like you said, it takes away from my bottom line. Like you know, I can make you know fifty thousand dollars a year using your example, and uh, you know, depreciate a portion of my house, my my furnace, my roof, my like all these different things, and and you know, at the end of the day, you can dwindle that down to pretty much your 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 income. You can kind of dwindle that tax income down to pretty much zero. Um, and then if, if you're, um, if I understand, if I remember correctly, if you, um, you can go beyond that zero and basically have a negative, right? And then carry it Correct. over three years, I believe. You can actually, if you have a passive loss, meaning you can carry over that, you can actually carry that over um, indefinitely or um, really it until the property is sold. And that's when that's released. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's pretty great. I love, uh, I love the tax advantages to it. I think that's a little known piece. Of it. I think just like you said, it's pretty mysterious and a lot of people don't, I don't know if, if, if too many people are taking advantage of it, especially the, um, the other investors out there that might have a smaller portfolio. I know on the larger scale, um, everyone, just like you said, you, you get your engineer out there and then they actually go piece by piece, unit by unit and, and slice up the entire thing to make sure that you are, um, taking advantage of all the, the, uh, the taxes there. So, um, can you, can you give us an example of, uh, possibly one, uh, so I'm assuming you work directly with the engineer. Is that correct? Right. Are so we're actually a, we're uh, Madison specs the company I work for. We're one of the largest national companies doing this. We have a whole team of 16 in-house engineers. So we, okay. you know, yeah. And we, our engineers will go, we work in all 50 states, go to the property and they do the, the bulk of the work, which is why this is not, even though it's an accounting thing, right? It's a tax thing. It's not something that accountants can do because you need that engineer component um, involved in the process. So yeah, so we have our engineers working directly uh, with the properties, making sure getting, maximizing that. Okay, so what happens from there? So the engineer gives you the report and then you start to actually work the numbers from there? Um, you, you know, no, so actually the engineers do the, you know, the bulk of the, the report, which means they're breaking down all of the, the assets um, into the different categories, making those calculations. We have you know, a team of accountants that will, yeah, will review everything, make sure that everything fits and works and, and prepares this report, which ends up being about a you know, 70, 80, 100 page report which gives you an update the you know the end the end result is that it gives you an updated depreciation schedule okay instead of a, you know your regular straight line depreciation which we mentioned before is just taking a little bit every year for 27 years an equal amount you're breaking it down and getting an updated schedule uh, okay. five year assets this is the amount you know it's 10% or 20% or whatever it is of that value the 15 year assets, it's another, you know, five, 10%, whatever that is. And then the 27 and a half year category is the remaining 70%, let's say. So that's, that's what it's uh, broken down to with those numbers. Okay. So I know that we, we typically do these with larger, larger apartment uh, complexes, but what about larger single family portfolios, like larger portfolios and other things like you know, obviously office spaces, different asset classes. And then also I'm curious of how that works with um, I have a lot of friends that have a, a very large like Airbnb portfolio. Can you also, can you also cost segregate that as well? Sure. So this can actually be done on any type of property, not just residential. It can be done even on any commercial property, anything, as long as it's not your personal residence. 
okay? Because personal residence does not allow you that tax deduction. Um, but yes, it can be done on single family properties. It's, it's, it's like this, the, the benefits of it, okay, there's a cost involved, obviously. Every service has a cost involved in it. The tax advantages, the tax benefits are proportional to the actual purchase price of the property. And so this is something, um, you know, maybe I'll back up for a second and I'll answer this question because there's something really important I, we missed out about what depreciation is and how it affects. And this is something really confusing. The depreciation is determined based on the purchase price of your property, which means if you buy a property today for $100,000, okay? So now your depreciation on that property you subtract something for land, which does not depreciate, let's say 10%, you're left with a $90,000 basis. That's the amount that you can write off, okay? Now, if you, in, in five years from now, sell that property for $1 million, okay? And that's a great gain, right? It's a great profit. <laughs> yeah. But the new guy, the buyer, now takes depreciation on that property for $1 million. Now his tax write-off is a million dollars. So it's not determined on when the property was built, okay? It's not determined on how much has already been depreciated. It's totally subjective to the buyer of the property. And this is the point that I really wanted to, to get into. So it has to do a lot with how much is the purchase price. And so I generally say any property purchased for over a million dollars is almost a no-brainer. It's like there's so much tax benefit there like even a fee of a few thousand dollars or more, it, the benefits totally outweigh you know, the cost involved. Under half a million dollars, there's not a lot there. You know, it, it can be beneficial. You know, in the middle, between half a million and a million, it's like also, it can be very beneficial. Under that point, it's where it really you know, is gonna be not as beneficial. And so you asked about portfolios for single family portfolios. If every single property um, if the property, for example, is being purchased as a portfolio, right, and it's being depreciated all in the same schedule, right, and you're, all, you're taking it all as a portfolio, you're yeah. taking it all as like one asset, then it can definitely be more worthwhile. Because again, that purchase price, that, that depreciable basis is taken from the entire portfolio. But if you have, you know, one property you bought for 50000 and uh, six months later you bought another one for 80000 and 10 months later, you bought another one for 100,000. Yeah. Each one individually, there's not gonna be a lot there. And so the work is gonna to need to be done on each property individually. Um, you should know, and your listeners should probably know, there is something out there now, which has already come out in the past couple of years. We don't do this, uh, our firm, but there is something that's like a software or an algorithm approach where some people, some firms have developed a software that will, um, by not having the engineering approach, which is the way the IRS suggests, you know, recommends to do it, but it does give some sort of way to break down those assets without an engineer actually having to go to the, to the firm. And it's extremely affordable. Um, I'm not really promoting it because it's not something that we do. And I don't really recommend it because it does not stand up in an audit if, you know, you were to get audited, but it is something that if you wanted to take, you have a higher risk tolerance, right. And you have, um, you know, you want to get those tax benefits. It is something that, you know, I know a lot of people are doing nowadays. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's really what I was referring to that the, the um, single family portfolio is like purchased as a, in one asset. Um, Cause I, I have a few, um, a few listeners that do have a larger portfolio that they purchase single family portfolios. So, sure. um, 
so yeah, that's that's extremely extremely interesting. I, I've always wondered that, um, especially the uh, the Airbnb piece. But I mean, if they all work the same, um, there's no. Well, the, go ahead. Yeah, the Airbnb piece is actually interesting because Airbnbs um, really two really interesting things about Airbnbs. Number one is that I mentioned at the beginning that um, you know properties depreciate on a 27 and a half year schedule, right? But that really refers to residential properties. Commercial properties depreciated on a 39-year schedule. And these are really arbitrary numbers, but the IRS came up with them. The interesting thing about, about Airbnbs is that they're really, um, the IRS really considers them, if they're short-term, like less than a week um, usually, then they're considered much more like hotels. Yeah. And therefore, that's a commercial property. And so it gets treated on the 39-year schedule as opposed to the 27-and-a-half-year schedule, that residential or, or multifamily even though multifamily is also commercial, right? Yeah. In a sense, and for you know, for lending purposes, it's considered commercial loans. But for tax purposes, multifamily is considered uh, residential. It gets that twenty-seven and a half year treatment. The second really cool part about um, Airbnbs is that oftentimes there's a large component of furnishings that people buy to add into those properties, which the, a lot of money spent on those furnishings all of that money spent on those furnishings in almost all almost all cases that that those furnishings fit into that five-year personal property category which means that can be depreciated on a faster life and get that cost segregation benefit for basically everything you spent on those furnishings is there any is there um any other advantage to uh cost segregation that people might not know about that I guess that we need to really know about. Sure. Yeah. I think there are a few things. Um, one I'll mention is that it's really worthwhile, especially like I said, it's someone that, you know, may not know about this. It, it's, it's something that your accountant may not necessarily tell you about because as I mentioned before, it's not something that accountants uh, do. Now they may refer you to it. They may think it's a good idea and refer you to, you know, a third party firm, but it's something you need to take advantage of to at least learn about and educate yourself about so that when the time comes that it is something that will be beneficial to you, you're going to be prepared. Um, one of the ways you can do that is if you do have a property that you think might be potential, might have the potential to get those tax benefits for reach out to someone like myself. Uh, most firms will provide a free estimate and analysis of your property to show you what the difference would is if you're doing just regular straight line depreciation versus whether you're if you do a cost segregation study and what you know what that would look like over the first year the first five years how that would play out over 20 years etc so you can kind of see what the tax uh difference would be because again we're accelerating a portion of that depreciation in the first five years or even in the first year and therefore, you're getting those tax benefits up front. And later on, it kind of reverses itself. So you're getting less depreciation later on. For someone who's just buying one property and like, that's it. Okay. They're the guy that like, I'm just buying one property for my whole life. This, it's probably not going to be so beneficial. It's probably more advantageous to take an equal amount of depreciation every single year. But someone who wants to scale up, okay, someone who wants to keep the cash that they're making in their pockets. Now, again, remember, and this is an important thing, and I've heard this from accountants who are extremely savvy, uh, real estate investors themselves. You are not obligated to pay taxes unless you have a tax liability. 
okay? Just because you make money does not mean that you have to pay tax on that money unless you, at the end of the day, have a tax liability. What does that mean? That means, like you mentioned before, if you make $100,000, but you have $100,000 of tax deductions, of tax write-offs, that means that your tax liability, your taxable income is zero. You have to pay zero income tax. Now, it's, this is, there are rules in the tax code built in there to take advantage of, to use. Now, you have to be proactive to do that. The concentration is one of those things. Um, it's important to note that real estate professionals, someone who's involved materially in real estate investing, get the best treatment from the tax perspective because you can actually use depreciation not only to lower your taxable income from the properties, but actually to offset income from any other source as well. So if you're making money from brokering, you're making money from anything, you can use cost segregation to lower, like you mentioned before, if you get you know, into a zero, even into a minus, so you have extra deductions, what do you do with that? Well, if you have other income from other sources, you can use that to offset that. And literally, this is how real estate investors pay little to no taxes. I knew about the real estate part, but I did not know that it could transfer over to um, other other businesses. Now, do you have to be the sole proprietor in that business, or is it does it really matter? You li literally, wow. Okay. No. Once you have this, uh, and it's like this cool status. It's a box that you check on your tax uh, called the real estate professional. It's a real thing. Oh, it's like forty hours. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You have to have seven hundred fifty hours a year. Okay, which is like sixteen hour, fifteen, sixteen hours a week. And you have to have more than 50% of your time uh, materially involved in some sort of real estate, which means you can't really have a W-2 job and be a real estate investor unless you like are extremely hustling and you know, spending 40, 50 hours a week in your real estate and can track those hours. Um, obviously speak to your tax advisor before checking that box or wanting to do that because once you do that, you literally can be you know, use the depreciation to your advantage to pay almost no taxes whatsoever. Got it. So what, if you're hitting the over million, over the, if you're hitting the over $1 million mark, then it's pretty much advantageous and no brainer to do it, uh, to do cost segregation. Now, have you seen in any instances where there was a larger, I don't know, hundred unit mix and um, obviously over a $1 million point where the straight line depreciation worked better? Um, and if so, what, like, what did that look like and why? Um, there are, there are certain cases and I should mention that it's going to be, um, it's going to be different for different people. Um, because, you know, most people want to make sure that they're paying less taxes, but let's say you, a person has already so many tax deductions that they don't need it. Okay. Just getting extra tax deductions and putting yourself into a minus is not necessarily going to be um, to your advantage, um, or at least not immediately. It may be to your advantage over time because having those passive losses carry with you and you can use them in the future. And you can even use them in the future to offset um, passive gains, you know, from capital gains, things like yeah. that. But, but it may not be to your advantage immediately. Um, that's one reason. Another reason I would, I would know, you know, would, would be, there are certain people that, um, and it's become very popular lately that people like to invest from their self-directed retirement accounts, right? This is like all over the place, right? Everyone's yeah. talking about it and it's like become very famous. Now, first of all, make sure that you're, you know, using someone who is like, 
extremely knowledgeable, you know, not just someone who's a, a marketing genius and like coming out there and saying, buy my product um, to, you know, just sign up, sign over here. Yeah, Anyways, the point <laughs> is that there, that a lot of those accounts like 401ks and, and Roth IRAs are not actually taxable. So if you're investing from that, you can't even use depreciation. So there's really no point in doing consolidation in that case. And in fact, I know uh, there's a very big syndicator um, who you know owns like over 3,000 units, but all of his investors are from 401k or from Roth IRA. So he has zero use for consolidation. Yeah, I'd say the last thing we need to know, and this has come like a, become like a buzzword over the past year or so, which is something called bonus depreciation. Um, you may have heard of this. It's, it's people think it may be something different than consolidation, but it's actually not. This is a law that was passed in the recent tax reform of 2017, 2018, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which created a new tax deduction called, not really new, but uh, called 100% bonus depreciation. What that is, in a nutshell, is instead of doing consolidation and accelerating your depreciation, again, front-loading a certain percentage into five-year categories to the 15-year categories, and getting those you know, tax advantages over the first five years, you can now, and get this, it's crazy, but it's true, you can now take the entire five and 50-year amounts and front-load that entire amount into year number one. Now, why would mean, someone want to do that? Um, they're just starting off? No, not necessarily just starting off. A lot of people do it because they want, they need huge, you know, they need tax deductions. People who are making a lot of money, um, you know, they want to make sure that they're not paying taxes on that. So, and it can cross over, meaning again, like I said, if you're a real estate professional, let's say you're making a lot of money and let's take an example of a syndicator, right? Syndicators, they can be real estate professionals. They may not necessarily be making, um, you know, huge income from the properties per se, but they themselves, a lot of them, and I know a lot of syndicators are taking acquisition fees and management fees and everything like that. If you think about it, you know, some of these guys are taking like a 5% fee um, on acquisition. If you do a $10 million deal, yeah. okay? Now on a $10 million deal, the property may be cash flowing, um, you know, and you may be getting a pretty good solid cash flow, net operating income, on that property, maybe even, you know, upwards of a million dollars, right? But, you know, a million dollars spread out over all the investors, like not any one person is going to be making a million dollars, right? Yeah. But on that $10 million uh, purchase, the, you know, the, the syndicator himself is making on, in that first year on that purchase from that 5%, he's taking $500,000 right there. Right. So he needs that. Yeah. So he, he he's gonna need <laughs> he's gonna need the you know the tax deductions to make sure he's not getting taxed on that 500k. Um, you know, even though if the property is making a million dollars, he may be getting you know 10% of that or whatever. The depreciation, you know, is gonna cover that. Big gonna time. Cover okay. That. okay. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And I didn't really think about that piece either. Um, I mean, I know there's the, the acquisition, uh, the acquisition fees and management fees that that are involved with uh, syndications. But um, I figured that they would more so want to do it usually because at the front end, you're, you're trying to do the lease up, you're trying to add the value, you're trying to do the renovations, and you might uh, take more losses um, in, in the first couple of years anyways. Um, and you'd want to do that lump sum, I guess, closer to the end, closer to the repositioning of the asset. 
Um, that's, that was just my assumption, but I didn't really think about the, uh, think right. about it from the, the syndicators, uh, or the general. Yeah. Or, or someone who's a broker. Like I, yeah. I have a, I have a bunch of clients who are brokers and real smart brokers also invest in properties so that they can get the tax advantages, right? A guy's making a million dollars and is brokering. Yeah. Listen, you're making a million dollars in your brokering. You're making whatever, half of whatever it is. You're getting very high tax on that. Okay. If you can find a way and the way to do that is to invest in real estate and, you know, buy a property, you know, you put money, you know, a small percent down, you know, 20% down, whatever it is. And you can get a huge tax write-off to write off all of your income from your brokerage, from any other fees, from any other income that's coming your way. So there is a lot of real advantages to doing this uh, for a lot of people. So if you are a broker and you're listening to this and you're not yet <laughs> investing yourself, you should really think twice and find a property to invest or else you're just paying taxes to no reason. Meaning there's a way for you to actually get around paying income tax and it's that- not very difficult to do. That's not just brokers, really, really anyone in, in general. I, I've, I've been having that conversation with a lot of my friends, uh, any kind of W2 owner, uh, earner for the most part, um, you know, real estate's definitely a way to, to take advantage of a lot of tax and, depre- or, and uh, claim some of those or, you know, claim some of those and get some deductions, you know, so um, yeah, that's definitely right. So for anyone that's just starting off, anyone just starting off and uh, maybe they're doing their first syndication, um, what advice would you give to someone just starting off doing their first indication in need of possibly in need of a, uh, an engineer come out and do it, do, it, do some analysis? Um, I would say in general, and this wouldn't necessarily even be limited to, you know, doing the cost or getting engineered, just someone who's starting out in general, always find people who are more experienced than you and not just a little bit more experienced than you, but a lot more experienced than you. And find a way to apprentice them, you know, to just do whatever you can to help them and to learn from them because you will gain, you know, literally 10x the amount of knowledge and experience just through them than you would of trying to figure out things on your own. Um, And that's like the best advice ever. Big time. I definitely agree with that. You know, adding value to whoever you can, you know, getting around them, possibly offering some kind of free service to where you can add value to their operation. Exactly. And yeah. Just like you said, the 10X, you know, 10X method. <laughs> <laughs> so big time. So, Hey, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate it. Um, every, how, how can my viewers get in contact with you? Anyone that's listening right now, um, that, that wants to reach out to you, how can they get in contact with you? Uh, the best way to find me actually is on LinkedIn. I'm extremely active on that platform. It's an incredible platform. It's very underrated right now. I know a lot of people use Facebook and all that stuff, but it's really underrated. And there's so much um, potential and so much advantage of that social platform right now. So that's I'm very active there. If you want to reach out to me by email, you can do that also. YYs at MadisonSpecs.com. Um, yeah, happy to help. Any anyone's questions whatsoever. And everything that was just mentioned will be right below his photo there and the, and, and also in the show notes um, of however you're listening to this. So as always, if you find value in the content we're delivering, um, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe, uh, please subscribe, like, comment, share. Um, if you're listening to this on podcast, make sure you sub- subscribe and uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, make sure to check out Yona. He's got some great information. As you heard, he's a 
definitely subject matter expert. Um, it's, that's just awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really, really appreciate you, uh, appreciate you dropping so many gems and adding so much value to those, to listeners out there. Pleasure. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate uh, you having me on. All right, great. And uh, with that said, this is Dan Wynn signing off.